Good morning, Ventura. God bless you. I have a great deal of just admiration and affirmation for the faithfulness of your pastor and also for your elders. And sometimes when you go and serve other places, you do that just as a means of just affirming. But really, in 22 years of serving the Lord in his ministry, it, it is from a deep place of of unity and affirmation and the work of the gospel uh, for the cause of Christ that I, that I say that and affirm you, brothers. So thank you for the privilege of um, serving your flock today. It was uh, not too many years ago, uh, three, five, I don't know, I lose track of time, where our teens traveled up from the suburbs of Chicagoland and got to paint that terrific back room at the end of the hallway back there. So it's great to be back and to see some of you again and to see some of you for a first time. Uh, please do this with me. Please take a hold of your copy of God's Word and open it to Psalm 119. And please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is the most important part of what I'll do throughout the morning during our, our time together. And so when you, when you hear God's Word being proclaimed, read, affirmed, that's when your ears should really perk up. Everything else I say outside of that, you could take it, you could leave it. But this part is to be revered. Psalm 119, verse 17, I'm going to read from. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statute. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Please be seated. Do you have a couple... You don't have to raise your hand. Do you have a couple friends? Do you have a couple friends? Don't raise your hands because it could get uncomfortable if you only have one. That's okay. If you have one friend, just th think of that friend and think of one of the couple of friends that you have that's the one that's more inclined to call you late at night, after hours, repeatedly, in a way where they, 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 they know it's now too late to call, so they just send a text. And they say, as a precursor to what they're going to say, I hope if you're not awake, you have your phone turned off or it's on auto, don't notify me. And, and this friend is a special friend. It's a special friend. So, some people might call that friend the needy friend, the needy friend. And some of you are like, I don't even know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any friends like that. The friend is you. <laughs> we think about that person in a way where we do everything we can to avoid to be like that. To sound, now some of you are going to be like, oh, now I'm never going to text Sally again after nine. I'm not going to do it. I want to be that person. And we think about all of the seemingly negative ways where that person is the person we don't want to be. As a young person, you don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the needy. I don't want to be the demanding. But, but what if that wasn't so bad? What if it wasn't a terrible status to acquire? 
What if it was actually seen as good to be the desperate, needy, seemingly lonely, seemingly always calling out, always needing more friend as a means through which we really live out what it means to be a follower of the one true God. As a means through which we really live out this simple daily depth, breath, expression of neediness for God. Psalm 119, I believe, helps us embrace this necessary neediness that is incumbent upon all of us. So as we talk about what it means to be weak, as we talk about what it means to be, to be waiting upon the Lord to come through, to be who he says he is for us yet again. The, the psalmist here in Psalm 119 breaks through a pattern of celebrating God for who he is, breaks through this, this poetic gesture of not only praising God for who he is, but calling out to God for help. And then for the longest chapter in your Bible, for 22 sections with eight verses each, a kind of intentionality that cannot be missed because it follows the Hebrew alphabet. I'm reminding some of us. It follows the Hebrew alphabet letter by letter, and each section begins with that letter of the alphabet and follows through that way with eight verses, 22 times over, 176 verses. It's beautiful, it's poetic, it's powerful, and it's instructive for us. And here, to help us understand the necessary neediness that the author is expressing. First, in verse 17, as it relates to living to love. So necessary neediness as it relates to living to love. Deal bountifully with your servant, a very rare expression in your Bible, and not common at all, uh, this expression of an excess means through which God would deal with someone. And the psalmist is crying out for that same kind of generosity from God. God, would you deal? The, the, the word bountifully isn't formally in the Hebrew text, and it is expressed out of the one word that is expressed into two, how God might deal with and how might God be generous with, how might God deal with his people. So this is a crying out to God, God, I need you to deal with me generously. I need who you are and what you are. I am your servant. So posturing of humility, even with the strength of command. But why? Why such desperation? Why, why such commanding of the capacities of God to be bestowed upon the individual? Why? The text tells us that I may live and keep your word. So for a kind of purposeful sustenance, for a kind of clarity given to the what for the sake of the why. Now, don't, don't miss this in the text, that I may live. Now, that's where many of us stop. God, I need you. God, sustain me. God, I can't go another day. I can't go another week. Lord, I, I, I don't know if, I, if I'm a new parent. Lord, I just need the crying to stop. I need this to stop. Lord, I can't make it. Or, or if 
I have a loved one in the hospital. Lord, I, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. God, I, I need, God, if you could bring healing or just a pause, Lord, if you could just bring some kind of, God, I need you for life itself. But the text does not end with the psalmist crying out for life, for the purpose of life itself, calling out for life, for what? That I may live and keep your word. That is a redefining conclusive phrase. That I may live and keep your word. That redefines the purpose for which we exist, that we don't just exist to experience the goodness of this life or the pleasures of this life. It's that I might keep the word of God as I live it out, as a part of the purpose. This totally drastically changes any concept of perseverance. We think that perseverance, we think that, God, I need you. God, deal with me in a way, Lord, where I can make it. But when you go and study James, one of the passages we turn to to talk about how to persevere through trials, right? The text, as is often the case in the scriptures, the text is referring to persevering by virtue of clinging to him. It's actually not about just making it another day. It's not actually about just holding on to this life. It's about holding on to this life in a way where I'm holding on to him on the journey. That's the great concern of trials. That's the great concern of hardships in this life. It's that I would go through this life and that there'd be something that would throw me off from counting him as the author and perfecter of my faith. That's the concern that my confession wouldn't be true and pure. Not even to the point of having salvific concerns or about losing, losing my salvation, but just wanting to be counted as faithful in the trial just wanting to be counted as one who adores him in the midst of it. The text starts this way and it ends this way pretty powerfully. That I may keep your word. See, we don't normally make a connection between the two, but the scriptures, they do. They do. Uh, Look with me, if you have quickness to turn, to 1 John chapter 5. And you'll see how I arrived at the conclusion toward those statements. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, I'm going to read quickly. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Here it is. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. This is it. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. To live, to love is to obey. Our, our, one of our most beautiful expressions of what it means to love God is to keep his commandments, to live them out, to obey his commandments. He looks and he sees, look, not only because the gospel is covering us and we're redeemed by Christ and he sees us as his children, but look, look at how they live. They, they, live like, they live like I told them. They, they live in accordance. This was the whole deal with Israel, that they would live as a people set apart for God, that people would look upon Israel. They would see how they would look to God for direction, for protection, for, for how to interact with one another, and that God would get the glory, and they would be a set-apart people, and it would point people to him. I need you, Lord, to sustain me that I might live to love, that I might live to love. This kind of dependence on God's 
provision is so responsive to what we also see in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says so clearly that whether I'm in want, need, or whether I'm in abundance, excess, that I still find great contentment in Christ. It's because of the power of who he is in me and for me, that there isn't anything beyond him that you can add to me to ultimately even really make my life better. And then certainly there isn't anything that you could take away from me that's going to diminish or decline all that Christ is for me. So, so bring it on. Hardship, wealth, poverty, prominence, my status doesn't change because of the way that he's dealt with me and given himself to me. A definition of contentment, perhaps. To live, to love. What if I think about life in this regard? To, to, to just slow down and say, wait, Lord, I need more of you. I call out to you in song, not just for the truth-centered emotionally engaging reality that I, I want him and I want more of him, but so that I can keep his word. G give me vitality so I can live faithfully. I mean, th this life is a fleeting journey and everything else apart from that is ultimately vanity anyway. Hard for me to not see that. We just finished the series in Ecclesiastes. Like what else is there? For those of you who have lived a little life and you have the treasure of having what the scripture would refer to as a distinguished status by virtue of age, you have gray hair. Some of us have it a little earlier, some of us a little later. To help people understand there isn't anything on this earth that is more substantive than what it means to have and to receive from the Lord in a way that would allow me to live for him more fervently. That's it because you already know, you already know. The text moves on. To be necessarily needy that, that I would look to lay hold of God's word. So not only that I would live to love by virtue of obeying God's word, but I would look to lay hold of God's word. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That God would uncover what was covered. That, that, I, that I can see clearly and, and lay hold of the riches of the treasures of God's word. That, that it's a, a treasure trove of truth and comfort and correction and direction and to see it as something that you, you, you take and you would keep in a, a lockbox under a safe, that this is so valuable, richer than gold, richer than silver, richer than anything the world has to offer. And not just in a lockbox locked away, keeping dust, getting forgotten, but I would keep it in there and I would go to it often. Keep it in there, I have the, the, the lockbox keypad thing, I have it memorized. I go here so often, do, 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 do. I'm just, I'm always, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. When we have been renewed by the power of God's spirit, while we are in the battle with the flesh, it is the reality that God's word is like honey 
and sweet to the soul. Not, not always, because sometimes our flesh gets in the way. We, we talked about as men yesterday. So, so the battle doesn't change, though. My flesh doesn't change the reality of his truth. We cannot let our circumstances redefine the reality of the truth inherent and what God's word says about himself, says about itself, that it's wondrous what I find when he opens my eyes in him. In a way, in a way where I understand verse 19. I'm lost without direction. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. I'm lost here. I don't belong here. I'm passing through. It's not my home. I, I have no plans to set up stake. Not my retirement status and situation isn't going to make a means through which then I change the way I view my place on this planet because I'm just passing through. A sojourner, a foreigner, someone who doesn't live here, someone who doesn't belong here long term on the earth. And as a result, I need you, Lord, to hide not your commandments from me. Otherwise, I won't know how to live. I won't know where to go. I, I'll, I'll conform my ways to the ways of the world. Now, see, we think that that's all about holiness sometimes. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the end of the verse helps us see it's not just about being set apart for God. It's about the reality that if I'm conformed to the ways of this world, it's the reality that if I'm not renewed in my mind by the power of God's word and his spirit, the end of the text says that I'll be lacking the ability to discern the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil. Do you see that? I'm lost in this place unless God should make it the case that he makes clear to me his commandments. And I, I don't show up with that. Now, some of you are really intelligent. I don't know who all the intelligent people are. I usually find them pretty quickly. They're studying everything. They're not, they're not the talkers like me. They're the people that are just pensively processing, thinking, assessing, a lot of great intellect. Danger, though, some of us think we're like that because we have phones and we're like, well, I don't know, but I could know real fast. Both are dangerous postures. Why? Because we think we show up knowing something. We think we wake up ready to go. We think that our intellectual capacity causes us to feel like we can figure it out. I'll just look on, if I don't already know, I'll just look on YouTube. I'm sure we can figure it out. Uh, th this is how, how, how do we know this is true? Because we'll just take a little test. Because some of you are like, I'm not like that. I'm not really like that. If you're married, when it's time to put together a new something, piece of furniture, or something comes in the mail, Amazon, or we have Ikea, lots of Ikeas by us. So it comes in, and how many of you don't look at the instruction? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Ah, <laughs> like, oh, it's not that hard. I think I'll just, I'll just figure it out. I'm sure we get, ah, it'll be, it's not rocket science. I'll just... Now, it's one thing to do that with a piece of furniture or some new gizmo you just purchased. But it's another thing entirely to think about living in this place in that way. 
as though I bring enough to the table to just figure out my finances, to just figure out where I should live, to just figure out where I should work, to just figure out who I should marry, to just figure out who I should be or not be. Lost is what I am. Confused is what we are. We need for the Lord to show us who and what and how and why and for how long and, and to not gain that clarity because God doesn't make it a mystery. It's not as though that God has got this, this mystical sense of, uh, we make it like that when we talk about God's will, but God's word is full, replete with directions for our life. If just do this, do this. Go ahead and try to use God's word to fill your life with alignment. And I believe that you would by far and away, you'll run out of gaps. He'll close in the empty spaces in a way where you will be less confused about, here it is, God's will for your life. Just keep reading. There's so much to fill our lives with that some things would just go away. Some of our bucket list or it's like, well, I don't know if that's, you might want to keep checking. I don't know if that's on there. I know it's permissible. I'm just saying you're confused about God's will. It doesn't have to be that confusing. <laughs> to fill our lives with what God already says. We don't have to be like sojourners as we look to him. We don't have to be like God's commandments are hidden from us. My soul, verse 20, is consumed with longing because I look to lay hold, not only because I'm lost without direction, but I look to lay hold from verse 18 and verse 19 because I'm lost without direction and verse 20, because lasting longing is needed. Lasting longing is needed. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Just a constant sense of desperate dependence upon God. This is constantly, what does God want? What does God say? What does God want? What does God say? Hey, we're gonna go over to do what Let me just take a minute to check. What does God want? What does God say? My soul, the depths of my being, that all the way, whatever is like the deepest, we don't always walk around sharing the depths of our soul, but whatever the, 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 the depths of your existence are from that deep well space, of all that you are and all that you desire, from that space to be consumed from top to bottom, from left to right with longing and a lasting way for the rules of the Lord, for the just decrees, the scriptures might, if you have a footnote, it would say just decrees, that it's good, not burdensome, but it's blessing, not bad. It's valuable, not secondary. Right, if you were going to go and invest, let's say you had $10 million. You have $10 million to invest. $10 million to invest. And the $10 million that you're going to invest, it's everybody's money in this whole community. $10 million to invest. So the stakes just went up. One, because it was a lot of money. Two, because now you're responsible for everybody's money, right? I know you guys are actually in a 
building campaign. This is like good timing. It's like, I'm just kidding. He didn't tell me that. I forgot, sorry. $10 million, investing everybody's money. How many of you are going to wing it? You're just not. Some of you are, you're going to wing it. That will be, hey, well, you know, you, this is good, actually. This is a good example because you should know right away that that's not a good plan. <laughs> and that maybe we need, need more help with what it means to be needy. I just, I don't want to take one, not in a way that it's, it's fearful, but a way where it's expectant. And to think of what it's like when you're in the grocery store, you're doing your shopping and you look and everyone's been there and you see a kid in the aisle, they're like this. And you know what happened? I see there's a lot of kids there. You know what happened? They got forgotten, right? It's like, oh, ah, we're at the store. And at the... Sweetheart, did you get, oh, they run back. Ah, oh, where's my, you know, somebody took him, somebody took him, somebody took him. There he is just standing like, I don't know. Like their legs are frozen sometimes. Like that is what we ought to be like without having clear direction from the Lord, just frozen. Like there isn't a good step to take until I know what he says. I just wanna, I just, I wanna wait to just be under the direction of, I'm longing for his direction from the depths of who I am. My soul is consumed with this lasting longing for my need. Listen to this from the same chapter here. The ways in which I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Just panting for more of God's truth and, need, and desperate and the breasts aren't sure to, to watch a, a dog pant, to watch, to watch a, a dear brother at his bedside just a few weeks ago with his father who's panting for breath. The nurses have come. The doctors have assessed any day, any day. To see his body, his stomach cavity expand and collapse, watching his lips tremble for breath. And if he doesn't get one, now he's with the Lord. To be on edge in that kind of all-consuming way for the just decrees of God at all times. To, to not take a break. Why? Not because I'm living in fear, but it's just so necessary. I'm just so needy. And it's so good. It's so good. No, nobody ever gets there and thinks that was an absolute waste of time. It just doesn't happen. Not because we're always in our flesh Giving, getting everything we ought to get out of it, not because sometimes we don't go and read it and we totally forget what we read, but we still say, even on that light, quick overread of whatever, we still say, that was worth it. Someone serves you up a T-bone steak and you're not hungry, 
you're like, that's still a good, that's still a, you could be a vegetarian. And you're like, that's, it's still, my wife's a vegetarian. She's from California. That's, Look to lay hold because we're lost without direction, because we're wanting to be lasting with a longing need. Verse 21, because when we lack obedience, there's consequences. We want to be necessarily needed because when we lack obedience, there's necessary consequences. When we lack obedience, verse 21, you rebuke the insolent and the cursed ones who wander from your commandments. You rebuke them. You rebuke, you correct, you turn back to change their course of action. The insolent, as in the prideful, the arrogant, those of us who at times, which is all of us at times, and you know, I know parents are thinking, this is great for my teens, this is great, because they just think they have it figured out. If they could be needy in these ways, it would be great, but it's great for all of us that God rebukes those who are prideful and arrogantly think that we have it figured out. The accursed ones, they're just write down for your own study, Deuteronomy 27, 26. The accursed ones refers to those who see God's word and obey it not. They see it plain as day and they just turn away and wander from God's commandments. God's gonna bring correction. There isn't anything that God doesn't see. God, he, he wants to do it for our own good. It's correction and protection that we wouldn't just wander on forever. It's good that God would bring discipline to those he loves. It's a way that he demonstrates that we're a part of his family. And to not be weak and fearful, but to be thankful and eager to come under it, even when we have gone wayward, to say, thank you, Lord, that you love me, to bring correction. Thank you, Lord, that you are not mocked, that one will reap what they sow, so that we can see that God is a just God. And he makes a means through which he even uses those moments to show his goodness to us. Look to lay hold because to lack obedience brings consequences. It is not a good place to be in the way of making a practice of sinning. When we've seen what God to taste and to see and to turn away and reject, it's not a good combination. We don't wanna stay in that place. We don't wanna have what I often refer to as unnecessary hardship. It doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be that much hardship. Some of it is a direct response to our unwillingness just to be needy. Just be needy, be needy. I, I would pray that you would look at a text like this and you would say, it's good to be needy. See, now, now some of us are like needy and selfish. That's different, that's different. I'm not talking about that, but the principles inherent in the constant, all-consuming, reaching out for help, whether it's prayer, whether it's God's word, that would be a beautiful demonstration of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we would realize our brokenness, 
our weakness, that we would have a strength that only comes from him. Because in verse 22, the text takes a turn. And it helps us see that we, in our necessary neediness, that we would last, that we would listen. That we would last to listen. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. I've kept them. This inconsistency that people would say bad things about us, that I mean, you you know David's heart in the way that that David would be one who's just following God faithfully as a a young shepherd. And then God puts him in a place of being positioned to be the next king. And he's attacked and ridiculed. And it suggested of him that he wanted to do bad things to Saul. Not so. Had an opportunity, didn't do it. Scorned, spoken ill of, contempt held for him. in contrast with the reality that he's been faithful. And that this is a part of God's providence. That, that it doesn't always end up being the case that just because I've been faithful that everything goes well. It, it doesn't always end up being the case that just because I've been obedient that everything goes good for me. Now that, that's great patriotism, which I love, <laughs> but it's bad biblicism. <laughs> It just is. In fact, the Lord says, yeah, come and follow after me and it's going to get harder. I promise you suffering. That's the opposite of Americanism. (laughs) That we would say, wait a minute. Just go read Ecclesiastes. It's a confusing thing to man. Vanity of all vanities. Because the one who is wicked, they get blessing And the one who is faithful finds harm. And the only way to make sense of it is that regardless of what God sovereignly allows in conjunction with also whatever my disobedience is or obedience is, that I'm seeking to find a way as I obey him to bring him glory, lose or win victorious or failing, entangled in sin, but eager to be more sanctified. And I'm not there yet. Take away from me scorn and contempt, a desperate plea that God would remove these negative assessments, ill-gotten in contrast to who he is. I've been obedient. Why? Why are they speaking this way of me? Verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, people in prominent positions are planning his demise. God, we're going to get you. If we don't get you there, we're going to get you there. And if we don't get you there, we're definitely going to get you there. You're not going to make it through this gauntlet. We've got it out for you. you. You work with people like this. Say, man, I'll be doggone if I'm not fired by the end of the year. They are trying to just attach me to all the bad things that happen in here. As as a believer, if you're working in a a public school, I don't know what it's like in Michigan, but in Illinois, it's like, man, it's just a matter of time before something bad happens. Just a matter of time. Keep living for Jesus. Keep making it known. Just a matter of time. Somebody's going to catch you praying or something. They're going to see a Bible. They're going to call it hate. 
They're, they're going to use the world's cultural things and try to redefine what we say is truth. Take it away from me, Lord, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, here's what I will do, even in spite of the hardship. Your servant will meditate on your statutes. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to seek your face anyway, Lord. I'm going to be found in the way of your truth in spite of the circumstances because I'm aware that whether it goes good for me or poorly for me, I realize you are all I have in a way that as a result, you are everything. It's a redefinition of contentment. To be content with the Lord and his word is not just to settle. It's not a settling. It's a response to the robustness that he is and that he gives. And as a result, again, you can't add anything to me. And my inheritance in the Lord is so great, you can't take anything from me. Hey, I think, I think that was a terrible sermon, Pastor. Yeah, you might be right. It might have been. Praise the Lord that I'm not living for the praise of men. That was an awesome sermon. That was the best sermon I ever heard. I ever heard. And then, and it was the best one right after my pastor. It was the second best one. And it was the best at, oh, praise the Lord. Didn't change my status. You, 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 I have such a great status in the Lord. You can't add to it. You can't even get high enough to put a chip on top. It's like, I'm, I'm a child of the king. Are you kidding? A co-heir with Christ? What can you even, you shouldn't even try. Just give me a hug and. We need that reality because when it's hard, oh, it seems insurmountable. People are saying bad things about you. You can't, you don't even know where it started. You can't stop it. You don't know, you don't know how many people are involved and people in prominent positions, they just have it out for you. Still to meditate, to contemplate, to read over, to recite, to talk about the teachings of God, the statutes, the commandments, the laws of God. There's a way where we need to let scripture speak for itself in these spaces because it, it changes our perspective in a necessary way where our minds are renewed. When, when you look at Exodus, for instance, and you see the ways where the people of God are treated poorly, and you see the way that Pharaoh is against them. And there, there's a way where people focus on the fact that God's heart was for them, obviously, and God's heart was heavy, that they were being treated poorly, oppressed. But when you look at the repetitive expression as to why, why was God wanting to free the Israelites? Someone might say because they were being treated poorly and circumstances were harsh. I would say that was a part of God's heart of compassion. But if you were to read the redundant expression of the purpose for which God wanted to free them, you would hear something that sounds more like this. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Let my people go that they might serve me in the wilderness. Let my people go that they might serve me.
Let my people go that they might serve me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into the Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they might serve me. About just giving them a more pleasurable life and a land flowing with milk and honey? About making sure that they had all the freedom that they could have? Yes, but for what? So they could offer sacrifices, so they could serve the Lord, not just so they could live and enjoy it. It's so intertwined is our freedom with our worship. We can't separate the two. And so much so that when we read, some of us know maybe familiarly, for you were called to freedom, brothers, in contrast to the hardships that we experience from the hurtfulness of others. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as it relates to your freedom from the bondage of sin. Don't use the fact that God doesn't have eternal consequences because you're under the covering of Christ. Don't use that for you. Don't use it for this world. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That we would persevere, that we would last to listen to the Lord. That we would embrace the fact that to live is Christ. That it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Verse 24, Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They're my delight. It's what I, I increasingly wake up in the morning, maybe even before I need the coffee. There's something richer. There's something better, something more sustaining to delight in the Lord and his law. God, I, I, need, I need to eat from your word. I, I need to learn how I ought to think today, how I ought to live tomorrow, how I ought to be a husband, how I ought to be a, a, a father, how I ought to be a, a son or a daughter in a way that glorifies you. And so I delight not just in data, not just in information. The reason that the law of the Lord, the reason that the word of God is so powerful is because it's alive and it's active. Because as much as it is that we're seeking a set of data, as much as it is that we're seeking proclaimed truth, it's the case that we are seeking a person. We were reminded yesterday as men, were we not? It's the fact that there is no separation between the person and the proclamation. Here, let me just read it briefly. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I thought we were talking about an it. Well, we were. But now it's saying it's the word of God cannot be separated from the person of God. 
The pages of scriptures aren't meant to just draw us to a place. They're meant to draw us to a person. And so our neediness isn't just about organizing the sentences. It isn't just about creating outlines. It's not not about learning contextual history. It's about drawing near to our Savior and finding counsel counsel from him. The only other alternative is to see each other as the primary means. And that, that's the wrong kind of neediness. It's to see like, oh, I, I, need some, I, need some, I need some advice. I'm gonna text Brother Bill. I need Sister Sarah, I'm gonna reach out to her. Just need some, I got a real tough situation going on right now. I'm, I don't wanna send in my anger, so I'm gonna reach out to someone. So anger, you know, the Lord says, don't let the sun go down. But Psalm 4.4 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Ponder in your own heart and on your own bed and be silent. And I believe that that text is an invitation from which Ephesians 4 is quoting, telling us that even in our most angst-ridden, vexed posture, that we would seek the face of God before we even bring it up with a person. Man, that really saved my marriage at the very beginning. Goodness. They go, we need to talk it out before the sun goes down. I was like, oh, I need to close my mouth before the sun goes down. I seek the face of the Lord to be so eager for all of the counsel. Look at the text that refers to the abundance of counsel that you can get from the scripture because it's so replete with guidance and direction. Your testimonies, as in the opportunity to witness God's faithfulness generation to generation, the testimonies of God are his delight. Isn't it so encouraging when you hear the affirmation of what God has done through what God's word says for his people as a means through which then we would entrust ourselves to him further and we'd be more eager to come under his counsel? Do you have anyone in here that is in the military? Military or has been in the military? Uh, such a, a faithful service. Uh, my, my father was in the Air Force and uh, I don't know a lot about the military. And I know that the tactics of warfare are changing and adjusting in many ways. But one thing I, I, I do know is that if there was someone in the middle of any kind of combat and however things went, ground combat, they were to find themselves in enemy territory and somehow their peers have outflanked them or somehow they're by themselves. In the middle of enemy territory, people are dying, there are bombs, they're shooting. Terrifying for most people to be alone They lost their weapon 200 yards back. They've already fired all their grenades. They have no radio. They don't have a sense of time. And desperate need of help. And desperate need of salvation. And desperate need of protection. And desperate need of direction. Needy upon needy. That should be us. That should be us. Realizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. 
realizing that we need him for everything in a way that changes our understanding of neediness as a hopefully a regular posture for those who've been saved by the Lord. And those who have not yet been saved by the Lord have not made a profession of faith to be needy in a way where a resolve could be brought because of your profession of faith in Christ. And that your neediness is not eternal anymore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the ways that your word guides us, Lord, and instructs us. Lord, we need, we need you. We sing it in our songs. Let our hymns instruct our hearts and our minds. God, but we beg of you. God, to make it a part of our reality, Lord, to give us the license to, to, to open up our Bibles when we're having a discussion at home. Lord, give us the, the freedom with which we need, Lord, to, to say, wait. We need to acknowledge as in come under the direction of the Lord in this matter. I don't want to know. I don't want to have an answer without it getting counsel from him. God, help that be just the next step in our journey of sanctification in a way that glorifies you and allows our lives to be redefined for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.